Welcome to Hope for the Caregiver here on American Family Radio. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the show for you as a family caregiver. More than 65 million Americans right now are putting themselves between a vulnerable loved one and even worse disaster. Are you that individual? If so, how are you doing? How are you holding up? This show is about the heart of a caregiver. If the heart is a train wreck, guess what happens to the wallet? Guess what happens to the body? Guess what happens to the relationships, the job, the house, everything? And so we speak with clarity to that heart to help you stay strong and healthy as you take care of someone who is not. And we are glad that you're with us. If you want to find out more, go to HopeForTheCaregiver.com, HopeForTheCaregiver.com. I, many years ago, back in the early 80s, when I was a very young man, I attended Columbia Bible College. It's now called Columbia International University. And I was there for a couple of years before transferring up to Nashville to finish up my studies in music. And I was the recipient there of some of the finest teaching and um, learning about Scripture in ways that, that, that I still hang on to for the, the brief time I was there for a couple of years. And I, I was getting the, the, the alumni magazine recently, and I saw in there that they have launched this new program to complete your BSN your bachelor's of science in nursing at CIU. They're training nurses. And I was so moved by that that I called them up and I asked them, can, can we talk about this? Because I think it's so important for us as believers to, to embrace the, the original mandate that came for, for believers to minister to the, the, the wounded. Jesus himself said, I came to bind up the wounded, you know, and, and, and when he, um, when, when we stand before him, he's going to ask us, Five things when I was sick, naked, hungry, thirsty, in prison. And he's pretty serious about it. And and so the fact that this wonderful institution down in Columbia, South Carolina, is doing this, I felt like was worthy of our attention. I have been the recipient of interaction with many, many, many nurses over Gracie's journey. I can't even count the number. And I've had some that were just extraordinary. And, and I had some that were... Less than so. I remember one nurse, I, I was so, I struggled with this uh, in the middle of the night. Uh, Gracie was, was having, she'd had a pretty serious back surgery. She couldn't really do much of anything. And she was just mortified at having uh, the, the bedpans in the, in the room and things such as that. She just hated it. And I was so frustrated on her behalf. And I remember I went and talked to this one nurse, and she she still wore the. This was the time when they still wore the starch hats, or at least this one did. She was real old school, and she. I went out there and I and I kind of choked up, and I said, "Look, can you, is there anything we can do different?" And and she looked at me and she said in a voice that was so husky it could pull a dog sled, she said, "Oh, for heaven's sakes!" <laughs> and she marched back in, and I had a little cot beside Gracie's bed, and this was this was decades ago. And she pointed a bony finger at me. She said, you lay down right there. And she took care of everything with Gracie. And and then as I was laying there, I was just being very quiet because she told me to be still, and I was. And then she leaned over, and she held Gracie's hand, and she prayed with Gracie. This was at 2.30 in the morning, and she's praying with my wife. And it was the it was one of the most beautiful moments I'd ever seen. And so the thought of having a... A, 
a training program that nurse that will send nurses out there like this into hospice, into crisis pregnancy centers, into the mission field, who are going to minister the the, the love of Christ and and bring strong biblical understanding while performing very, very difficult things for family members and individuals and, and, and their families. Because this woman looked after me too. It just it just moves me that the Columbia International University is doing this. And so I invited Jill McEnany, McElhaney on the show to come and talk. She's the head of this whole program. And I invited her to come and just talk about this. So Jill, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Peter. We are so excited here at Columbia International University, where we're actually developing two nursing programs. Um, both are missions-focused. The first one is that RN to BSN program for associate's degree nurses or diploma nurses to get their bachelor's degree all online. Um, we're really excited about that. We're also launching a four-year traditional nursing program on our campus next fall. So we're getting ready for that. It, there's just so much going on, and we're excited because here we're going to be teaching nursing as a calling, and not just as a job, but a calling and as a ministry to others, exactly what you've been talking about. Um, our motto here is to know him and to make him known. And I can't think of another profession that's in a position uh, to do this. Nurses are in such a unique position to do this. So we are excited to be doing that here at CIU. I you beautifully said because I, I agree with you about this is it, it is a calling. I, I have been um, in rooms where there was just it was it was so tense, and there was so much pain and there was so much uh, all kinds of stuff. And, and I, I will tell you this, Jill. Before we get too far far into this, I I remember one time early on when Gracie was it was coming after one of her surgeries and for those of you who don't know my wife she's had now that I can count 81 surgeries and it's uh it's been quite a haul and I was a young man I I I don't think I was 27 years old and they overshot the medication evidently this is two two days after the surgery something happened and she seized in the middle of the night she had asked me to go down to the nurse's station get her something to drink and she seized in the middle of the night and and when, if you've never watched a seizure, it is it is a horrific experience. This audience is probably very familiar with those, but it was my first time. And I came in there in the room, and, and, and it was just god-awful. And I immediately got the nurses in there, and we're all working to keep her safe and keep her from falling on the bed. She's throwing up. It's screaming. It, it was just awful. And afterwards, when she kind of blacked out, which a lot of times with seizures, that's it kind of – it kind of reboot boots you a little bit, and and she got into some good rest at that point. And they that I watched these nurses though, and they all kind of took a deep breath. And Gracie had thrown up everywhere, and it was just it was a mess. And they cleaned her up, cleaned the room up. One of them even brushed her hair, and they cleaned up their uniforms. They were you know used to this sort of thing. And I'm sitting over there, and I'm I'm sitting in the chair, and I've still got vomit on me and everything else, and. And I'm just kind of sitting down at 3.30 in the morning now. And one of them put, their, put, her, put her hand on my shoulder and said, are you okay? And I didn't know how to respond because I wasn't okay, but I mumbled out, yeah, I guess so. And, but I wasn't okay, but I didn't have the vocabulary at that point. That's one of the reasons I do this show is to help give people the vocabulary of what, it, what it's like to be a caregiver, to, to express these things. But I was struck by something, Jill, that these nurses – Number one, they they didn't panic. They were trained for the job. 
Number two, they didn't try to fix Gracie. They called the physician who showed up, hair sticking straight up, that kind of thing. And I, I knew this surgeon well. And they didn't judge Gracie. They didn't anything. They just ministered to her. And they didn't worry about it getting on them. They were dressed for the job. And I thought, man, that's it as Christians. That's 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 what we're to do. We we don't judge. We minister to them in their distress. We call the great physician. And if we're wearing the righteousness of Christ, we don't have to worry about it getting on us. And I, that's the picture I have with nurses of what what it cemented in my brain. And that is um, it's, so. When you mention the word calling, that's what I think of. You've had similar experiences in this in your career and your journey. What is what is one that stands out for you as a nurse that would mean something to this audience specifically? Gosh, that's hard because I, there have been so many of them, but you're exactly right that it's a calling. Um, there's a different level of compassion that it takes to become a nurse. One story that I always think about, um, I, I worked, my background's been buried and I've worked in a lot of tough areas. I've worked in pediatric trauma as a nurse practitioner for many years. I've worked in disasters. Well, hold that thought for just a second. I didn't realize I'd run up against the break, and I apologize for that, and I will make it right by you, Jill. We're going to run to a quick break here. We're talking with Jill McElhaney. I'm sorry I got that wrong, Jill. Uh, Columbia International University and their new school of nursing there, and I can't wait to hear some of the things that they're going to be doing. We'll be right back. In His Image, delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality is changing hearts and lives. It speaks directly to the power and the grace of God. Gives me hope for people that I know that are struggling. The whole idea of In His Image has moved me. We actually had one gentleman contact us and he said that this film changed his mind about this issue. We had a pastor reach out to us and he said that he'd been struggling with hatred in his heart towards people in the LGBTQ community. And this film helped him to realize he needed to have compassion and show people the love of Christ. We also had this same sex attracted couple contact us and they said after seeing the film, they wanted to live obedient lives for Christ no matter what. And they said, please, Please pray for us. We know this is going to be hard. We've even had people come to faith in Jesus through In His Image. To find out more, visit InHisImage.movie. A Moment of Truth with Gary Bryden. Kathy Rigby was one of the hopeful stars in the U.S. Olympics team in the 1972 Games at Munich, Germany. Her goal was excellence. Before the Games began, her prayer was for strength to move through her routine smoothly and without making a mistake. She did her best, but did not win. When she joined her parents, she was crushed and ready for a good cry. She told her parents, I'm sorry, I did my best. Her mom gave a response that she has remembered for the rest of her life. Doing your best is more important than being the best. Stan Toller said, your personal levels of excellence are found in your relationship with the Holy Spirit. The Association of Independent Methodists, like-minded congregations doing together what can't be done separately. Visit aim2020.com.
Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the show for you as a family caregiver. That is my wife, Gracie, from her CD, Resilient. And if you want to get a copy of that, go out to hopeforthecaregiver.com, and you can see how to do that there. We are talking with Jill McElhenney, and she is from Columbia International University. I used to go there many years ago in Columbia, South Carolina, and they have a new nursing program that we're very excited about. And she was telling a little bit of her background before I didn't watch the clock properly, and I'm sorry for that. But she has a very extensive background. So, Jill, finish that up, and I'm so sorry about that. Oh, that's okay. So I was just saying that I've I've always felt called to work in the tough areas of nursing, and I, I prayed to God to continue to break my heart for what breaks His, just so that I don't become hardened for caring for for patients that are sometimes hard to care for. I've worked in pediatric trauma as a nurse practitioner for about uh, 20 years, and then I also worked in hospice home care, and that was an area of nursing that I really wasn't exposed to as a student, which is why I really I want our students to see hospice and to see some of the areas of care that I really think are forgotten about and are, don't get as much exposure when students are going through school. And about 10 years ago, when I was a clinical manager in home hospice, one of my jobs was to sign patients up for hospice. So if you can imagine, I'd go knocking on doors and, um, you know, trying to convince patients that they need to go into hospice care. Um, Even if the doctor had ordered that, a lot of times they were not happy to see me. Most of my patients weren't. Um, And one one day I knocked on a door and this stern-looking woman opened the door and I introduced myself and told her I was there to help her her husband set up hospice care and she said I know my husband's doctor sent you here but we don't like hospice we don't need hospice I don't know why you're here and Mm. I said okay and um, you know I, I really try to meet patients where they are in the journey wherever that is and I just said is there anything you do need and she said well we could use a hospital bed because it's getting harder for me to turn my husband and to get him in and out of bed and I nodded and I said, okay, I'll have a hospice bed, uh, I'm sorry, a hospital bed delivered tomorrow to your house. And she slammed the door in my face and I left. And so the next day I come back to her house and I knocked on the door again to make sure the bed had been delivered. I asked her if I could come in and show her some ways to transfer her husband back in and out of the bed. And she said, okay. So when I got back there, there was this very thin man, very sick in the bed. And I stayed just a little bit telling him, you know, showing him and showing his wife how we could get them in and out of the bed okay. And when I was leaving, she stopped me by the front door and she said, you know, my husband's a Vietnam veteran and he was a colonel in the Air Force who won a lot of awards. And I said, that's great. And I love it when they start telling me their stories because then I can really find out where this is going. She went on and she said he served as the director of personnel for the military airlift command and a base commander, and she went on and told me all these different awards he'd done and how powerful he was. And she said, he's not going to tell you this, but he was the pilot who flew the American hostages out of Iran in Mm. January of 1981. And so she said, he's always been so successful and so strong, but now look at him. He's so sick and so helpless. And I thought, this is, this is sad. This is a sad story. But then she wasn't done. She said, 
we lost our 35-year-old daughter to cancer not long ago. And just 14 months after that, her husband died of cancer. So we have an 11-year-old grandson who has no parents. And we've been in Mississippi helping him, you know, caring for him and helping our son and daughter-in-law adopt him, our other son. So when we got back from Mississippi, my husband had missed several of his own doctor's appointments and found out that he had stage 4 cancer. And she said, we went Mm. to ask about treatment. The doctor told us, and these were the words she said, there is no hope. And I didn't quite know what to say, which is unusual because I usually have something to say. So I did the only thing I knew what to do, and I, I asked her if I could pray with her. And she agreed, thankfully. So I prayed with her, and I left. And I decided, you know, usually I would assign these patients out to another nurse. But I said, you know what, I need to stay with these people because they finally let me in. And I've gotten through a little bit, but, you know, this needs to be my patient. There's too much going on in this house. So I started visiting with the colonel. I called him the colonel. And we got to know each other pretty well. And he was comfortable with me coming. He was an Alabama Crimson Tide fan. So I am a Gamecock fan. We won't hold that against him. (laughs) (laughs) So, So I'm a Gamecock fan here in South Carolina, so I always wore Gamecock shirts when I went to visit him so we could, you know, kind of joke around and and talk about the rivalry. And it was football season, so one way that instead of doing a neurological assessment on him, I started asking him um, football stats and football scores from the weekend before, and that was how we did our uh, mental status assessment. And we started talking about heaven because he knew he was dying, and he knew he didn't have a lot of time left. And he said um, to me, his favorite verse was Romans eight eighteen. I consider that in our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. And I learned he was a believer, and he was actually a member of my church. I did not know them. I had never seen them. And we have a big church, but... I should have known that he was a member. He said they had been out of church for so long because they'd been in Mississippi helping with the death of his daughter and the death of his son-in-law, and then he became sick. So he'd been out of church a while. And I was able to contact our pastor with his permission and get our hospice chaplain in there as well to do some spiritual visits. And they slowly began to work through some of this grief and some of this sorrow that they had because they really didn't have any hope when I walked in that door. But the biggest part of the story that I love, and this is what I like to share with my students, is I didn't do a lot of nursing care. The skills really didn't matter. But because I had the opportunity to go into that house and to get in there and meet them where they were, hear the story, hear what was going on, we were able to reconnect them back to their church family, help them through some of this grief, emotional pain they were having, and also to spiritually do a spiritual assessment, spiritually reconnect them with their church. So it was, um, it's a great story. He ended up dying. He passed away peacefully. His wife was there. He was buried at Arlington National Cemetery. Mm. And they invited me to come to the, to the uh, funeral at Arlington National Cemetery and I, all I could think about was, I'm the nurse that they slammed the door, the door in my face. And they didn't need hospice. They didn't need a nurse. They didn't, and just because I was able to kind of 
listen to them and meet them where they were and do those assessments, emotional assessments, spiritual assessment. The physical assessment, there wasn't a lot I could do with it. But that's what I want our nurses to know. This is not just skills, skills, skills. We're not going to be teaching, you know, only skills. We are going to teach the same skills, and they'll be tested on that just like any other nursing school in the country. But our nurses are going to learn that physical and that spiritual and the emotional assessment that we need to do to take holistic care of these patients. And that's going to be the difference, um, showing them how they can show the light of Christ no matter what, where they are, where they're working, what they're doing. And to me, that's missions, whether it's internationally or this was someone in my church that needed missions, needed um, someone to meet them where they were and someone to care for them. So that's you know, one that's, of the stories that I like to share. That is a great story. And that, that you know, that's the gospel, though. How many times have we slammed the the door in the face of Christ. You know, we just, um, the, right. the music world just lost a, a great musician and hymn writer, Ralph Carmichael, <clears throat> recently. And uh, he wrote a, a hymn called The Savior is Waiting. I don't know if you ever heard that hymn or not. The Savior is waiting to enter mm-hmm. your heart. Why don't you let him come in? And, mm-hmm. and the, 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 you know, it's, it's that picture of Jesus coming to the door, and yet we have slammed the, 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 the door in the face of Christ way too many times in our life. I know I have. And and here you are modeling that beautifully. And this is what I believe will be the, the fruit that comes out of what you're doing down there, Jill, to have nurses that are willing to take a slam door in the face in order to be able to to love and care for people that, that, that recognize that, that the trauma that is going on, if you, if you just allow the external bristleness, um, if that's a word bristling, um, to, to, to rebuff you, you're going to miss the opportunity for ministry that is unparalleled. Now you've, by the way, you've done things overseas with Samaritan's Purse and some other places as well, correct? That's right. Uh, I've been on the, international medical disaster team for Samaritan's Purse for about 11 years now. And we go into natural disasters, epidemics. Um, it's really one of those situations where when they call you, you got to be ready to go. you got to feel like you're, you know, again, that's another situation where you got to be called into that. Um, and I never imagined in a million years I would be the one to go out and do disaster care, but that's somewhere that I was called into, and it's been a passion of mine. Broken people who've lost everything, that they're ready to hear the gospel, and they need to hear it. They, you know, that again, like being told you have no hope, there's no hope for you. That's something that we can show them there is hope. There is hope in, in the salvation of Jesus Christ, and as nurses, we're at the bedside. We're the ones who are there when they're broken. We don't have to force this on them. I've had patients overseas who ask me, why do you come all the way over here to do this? I'm sure you have a better job in the United States. Well, because this, I'm serving as the hands and feet of my God and of Jesus Christ, and they are asking why you do what you do, and you have the opportunity to share that. And I've seen so many patients come to Christ that way. And it's such a blessing, but it, it is a calling. And that's that's one thing that I want to impress is that, you know, you're hearing all about the nursing shortage and how much nurses can get paid right now. And, how, and, and that's really important, but if you're not called to this type of work, 
um, just like the story you shared about the nurses who had vomit on them and who were um, calm under pressure. That's that they were called to do that. That's the only way you can do this work. You know, they really were, Jill. It, it, it was astonishing the way they handled that in stride. And but not only that, but they turned to look around at me. You know that. You know they looked at me, and and they were they were some of the first people that looked at me as a caregiver. And for that, I'm always grateful. It makes me kind of get emotional when I think about it because so many caregivers are not seen. And you are modeling exactly what I, I, I'm just deeply moved. I love what you're doing. We're going to talk some more. This is Jill McElhaney, and she is from Columbia International University. This is Hope for the Caregiver. We'll be right back. Dr. James Dobson's Family Talk. Christian parents are on the hook today because they have to identify the threats to the value system uh, that's being taught to their children in public schools. And their job is to protect their kids from these influences. Tune in for Family Talk with Dr. James Dobson. Weekdays at 6.30 a.m. and 9.30 p.m. on American Family Radio. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to our program. God's blessings to you all. This is a unique moment in the history of our country where we have an opportunity to restore the foundations of this nation. Tony Perkins of Washington Watch. To a nation that once again honors God. It will not happen unless God's people are informed and engaged. Join Tony Perkins for Washington Watch. Weekday afternoons at 4 Central and Saturday evening at 6 Central on American Family Radio. I feel so hopeless. Hopeless. Is there any hope? I I just feel like there's no hope at all. Is there any hope? Get hope. My mentor used to say, leaders bring faith, hope, and courage to concentrated action. That's TWR President Lauren Libby. Recently, I attended a meeting where a presentation seemed to suck all the hope right out of the room. Why? Because the leader presenting told the group what we could not do for numerous reasons. Another leader made a presentation and told us what we could do and showed us that it was attainable. The second leader fired our faith by painting a picture of something not in existence and helping us believe that it really could happen with concentrated effort. Now guess which leader brought hope to the group? Leaders bring hope by painting an attainable future. Need more hope? We have resources waiting for you, including a free devotional. You'll find them at GetHopeRadio.com. That's GetHopeRadio.com. Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the show for you as a family caregiver. And we are so glad that you're with us. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. We're talking with Jill McElhenney, and she is from Columbia International University. Jill, do you remember that song, by the way, from the Imperials? Yes, I've heard that before. (laughs) That's one of my all-time favorites. That's Russ Taff and the Imperials. Um, And that is just one of my all-time favorite songs. I'm forgiven. Now I have a reason for living. Jesus keeps giving and giving. And one of the things I want to do on this show is, and I've worked hard to do this, is to show people that caregivers, if you try to do this on your own, you're going to run out of steam. But if you will allow the inexhaustible love of God through Christ to come through you and let him do it through you, as opposed to you trying to just, you know, grip this thing as hard as you can and and wrestle it to the ground, 
you're going to find that you can do this with a, 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 in a calmer, healthier, and dare I say it, an even more joyful way. Uh, even while tears fill your eyes, it doesn't rob you of the joy and the beauty of seeing God move. And this is what Jill talked about in the last block, that uh, being able to to see the the pain of this family and yet the beauty of the redemptive work of God moving in this. Jill, one of the things I asked you before we came on the program was, you know, what kind of candidate are you looking for? What is what is the school wanting to? Uh, who are they? Who are they trying to connect with? And and what that person would look like that would come to your environment? Because a lot of this can be done. Almost all of this can be done online. I think for the the first program, the second program, I think you have to actually be in the school at, at location wise. But but the 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 first program is like a hundred percent online. Is that what I understand? That's right. The the RN to BSM program, we're looking for nurses who are working as nurses who have completed um, an associate's degree program or possibly a diploma nursing program, and they're working to get that bachelor's degree. We can do it all online, and then they'll be doing a, a missions-focused clinical capstone project in their own community. Um, it could be anything from a COVID vaccine clinic or helping to do a quality improvement project in a crisis pregnancy center, something like that. We'll talk about it all through the program about, and help them identify an area that they may want to serve and um, complete a, com- a capstone project there. But otherwise, it's all online. It's 15 months, and we're really excited to um, also show some nursing leadership in that bachelor's degree online. Um, and there's the first course and the course that I teach is called Nursing for vulnerable populations. So we're going to talk mm. all about different kinds of populations that might be forgotten or that are a little more difficult to care for, um, drug-addicted populations. We're going to talk about prison ministry and how we can help care for um, homeless shelters and migrant worker clinics, places that you know may not be very popular to work in, but areas that we could make a big difference. And well, One of the things I, I want to... Mm-hmm share with the audience is if you as a caregiver have been blessed by a nurse that has come alongside you and your family and your loved one during some difficult times, and you feel like this may be something they may be interested in, would you consider telling them about it and possibly even helping them with a scholarship to do this? It it is, it's a, it's a great way to say thank you to those who've been alongside you during these processes that you've dealt with as as a caregiver through through lonely stretches and sometimes the only person that gave you a kind word was this particular nurse. So I would ask that you please let them know about this. They may want to get their BSN. They could do it from a distance. And they and then if you want even designate a scholarship for it, you know, and, and, and there's ways that you can do this as a way of saying thank you, or if you're a pastor or so forth, and you know somebody in your church is like this, please let them know this. This is an extraordinary opportunity. Uh, tell us about, you You were mentioning to me about a candidate that you, you wanted to tell a story about that uh, of you guys that's came into the, uh, the system there, and I would love to hear that. Right. Um, well, you know, all nursing schools have admission requirements, and they usually request a specific grade point average or an SAT, ACT test score, something like that. But And we do that as well. But I also like to interview every single student before he or she comes to the program. And one of the questions I ask is, tell me why you've chosen nursing. 
because I really feel like this different set of skills and compassion, the stamina, all of that, I want to know why they chose it so that I know this is going to carry them through their careers. I, I tell students all the time, write down your why on a note card and look at that when you're in school and it's tough or when you become a nurse, look back at your why. And, you know, especially times like right now during a pandemic, you're working overtime, mandatory overtime. Look back at your why. Why are you doing this? What what brought you to nursing? And that tells me so much about students. But the other question I I like to ask is, what have you done to prepare for nursing school? And one of the students that I had in the past, her name was Kaya, and she had special needs twins that required her full-time care. And so she had become a a certified nursing assistant to care for them. And that was Mm. her why. She's like, I want to go back to be able to care for other patients. I'm good at this. I'm called to this. This is my calling. So she had been taking prerequisites for about six years, one at a time, while she's taking care of her special needs twins at home. And she told me when I asked her in her interview, what have you done to prepare for nursing school? She said, I've saved enough money for my husband to stay home with these twins for two years. So he doesn't work and I don't work, and I can focus on the nursing program for the next two years because she was coming in as a junior. And she said, so, and I've moved my mother-in-law in with me. We've saved the money. We've done all these things. This is my calling. This is all I want to do in the world. And I said, girl, I don't even care what your GPA is. You are going to do well because this is what you're called to do. So she graduated this past May and passed the NCLEX, the National Licensure Exam, with flying colors. And her GPA may not have been the top one I had, but that's why I interview students, because if you're called to do it, you're going to do great in it. And she came back and visited me this summer after she graduated, and it was such a blessing to see that 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 is the way we need to choose our candidates, because You know, I've had 4.0 students who, you know, with the perfect GPA come in, and they're just not sure about it. They're not called to it. And they're not going to do well in the program because they're not going to have that passion. And then to work as a nurse, this has got to be what you want to do and what you're called to. And I do believe it's a calling by God because just as we've described these stories, I mean, it's, (laughs) it's not an easy job to have. No, it's not. And, and you're around family and patients with so much tension at times. And it's you've got to read the room very quickly. You've got to pivot. You, you've got there's there's so many different things going on at one time. And, uh, you know, and so it's, that's that's wonderful. I, I shudder to think about my GPA. I mean, that's why I graduated. Thank you, Lottie. And it's, you know, it's um, how come so lousy. But I, I I recognize this with a passion because I've seen those. And I also remember uh, a lot of guys that took care of Gracie during times that were former medics in the Marine Corps. There was particular ones I'm thinking of, the big, strong fellas. And they were so great with her because when, when they had to lift her, uh, and it was hard because when she didn't have her legs and all the things that were going on, and but they were so tender with her, you could just tell that this was in their DNA, and and so I think about, you know, people like that as well that, that have the opportunity to continue their education and get this bachelor's degree who have this vast amount of field experience and, and want to put that in there and then go into new areas. We're going to bump up against the break here in a minute, but let's start the conversation about hospice. 
because we've dealt with this with a family member recently and you know, you want people are nervous about this. They they feel like, oh, this is just going to help them just die. But that's not what hospice is all about. There are lots of different kinds of hospice care. And and yet I've also know that when folks come in and we've had different people come in who are very sincere about it, but they they're Buddhist and they're this or that or whatever. And what a treat it would be to have strong, biblically trained believers who are very good nurses come into those situations what what better way to minister it into people's lives than at their most vulnerable right at the right at these very difficult times of sickness and even approaching death talk a little bit about your program there and if if, if we hit the break we'll just continue on to the next block well i agree with you hospice is there are a lot there's so many misconceptions about hospice care and you know, that we're going to help them die, that it's, you know, they're at the end of the road. But really, hospice is so much more than that. Um, the nursing skills are, are obviously necessary, but the spiritual care is so important. One of the most important members of the hospice team, and it is a team, it is a team of a nurse and a social worker and a chaplain. It, it, the spiritual care there is so important. I've seen so many patients who really were struggling spiritually and stayed alive longer um, and suffered a lot longer because they were struggling spiritually. And, and the Christian hospice nurse, and this is what I want to, I'm hoping to get our students to understand, is if you can identify and do that spiritual assessment on that patient, you can say, okay, I've done all I can do um, physically. I'm going to call in the chaplain to come do a visit with this this patient. And I've seen it so many times where I'm, you know, I'm sitting there looking in my books and I'm using all of my medical knowledge and I'm saying, there's no reason this person is still alive and there's no reason this pain can't be relieved with this and there's no reason, you know, that this should be happening. And then I call the chaplain in and the chaplain is able to help this patient um, by, you know, whether it being a life review or to um, tackle something spiritually that they're struggling with or answer some of those questions that they're wondering about. Am I going to heaven? Is this what, you know, have I, am I going to be punished for things that have happened in my life? And the, you know, a relationship with a family member that's estranged. All of these things are so important in the dying process. And the other thing I want my my students to understand is that God created the dying process. And I've seen that so many different times. So, you know, there are all these um, movements for euthanasia and to end suffering. God created this suffering that we have at the end of life for those moments, for those spiritual reconciliation moments. And I've seen it so many different times. Well, he does. He uses he uses the broken things of this world. He uses suffering. He uses sin, sinlessly, in order to weave redemption into these things and point to his glory. And I've seen, uh, C.S. Lewis says that suffering is God's megaphone, <laughs> you know, and, and, and it gets our attention. And that's when that's we right. recognize that this world is broken. Uh, you know, he would, one day we won't have this and there will be a new heaven, a new earth, and all of this will be gone. But for right now, he does this. And there is the privilege we have as believers to minister along the way to others. We mourn with those who mourn. And we comfort those with the same comfort we ourselves have received. We'll be right back.
Have you ever struggled to trust God when lousy things happen to you? I'm Gracie Rosenberger, and in 1983, I experienced a horrific car accident leading to 80 surgeries and both legs amputated. I questioned why God allowed something so brutal to happen to me, but over time, my questions changed, and I discovered courage to trust God. That understanding, along with an appreciation for quality prosthetic limbs, led me to establish Standing with Hope. For more than a dozen years, we've been working with the government of Ghana and West Africa, equipping and training local workers to build and maintain quality prosthetic limbs for their own people. On a regular basis, we purchase and ship equipment and supplies, and with the help of inmates in a Tennessee prison, we also recycle parts from donated limbs. All of this is to point others to Christ, the source of my hope and strength. Please visit standingwithhope.com to learn more and participate in lifting others up. That's standingwithhope.com. I'm Gracie, and I am Standing With Hope. I'm William Owens, America's poet. Unity. Have you noticed the rhythm of the leaves, how they move to the breeze with such ease, never find them worrying, afraid of the night, or the storming winds that come their way? They simply flow. No need to be afraid. There's nothing like unity. But unity cannot be something that just happens in and of itself. All things hold together in Christ. Unity is not a default because we simply want peace. Peace is a result of the Prince of Peace being in the midst. Let us not forget that we're citizens of a kingdom to come, and he's bringing his family together in all due time. Set your heart and mind upon the unity found in Christ alone. This was a poetic expression of hope, love, and forgiveness from America's poet, William Owens. For the entire poem, his on-demand poetry concert, and more, please visit americaspoet.com. Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the show for you as a family caregiver. That is Gracie with Russ Taff on The Joy of the Lord. I love that song, and I love to listen to her proclaim that. And she's doing that through a broken body, and um, but not a broken spirit. We are talking with Jill McElhenney, and she is from Columbia International University, their new program they have for nurses and training nurses to go out and be emissaries of the gospel while ministering physically and spiritually. And it's a great work that they're doing. We talked about hospice, which is a very difficult subject for a lot of folks, but there's another area that CIU is wanting to also address, and that is in crisis pregnancies and what happens in these places where young women Girls are terrified. They're just, they're truly terrified. And they're, they're contemplating horrific decisions because of that fear, because of shame, because of guilt, because of whatever. And who do you want to intersect with these young ladies? But biblically trained medical personnel who can bring the light of Christ into what to them looks like such a dark place. So, Jill, talk a little bit about that and, and the, the things that you're excited about and where you see the great opportunities. 
Okay, yes, we have a partnership with a crisis pregnancy center here in Columbia, but we also are encouraging our online students to connect with these um, organizations in their own communities so that they can uh, be exposed. I really feel like um, a lot of nursing programs, I've taught in many programs over the last 20 years, and the, the focus is always on the inpatient, ICU, the critical care areas, the acute care areas, and those are all important, and our students will all go, be going to those as well. But we're also going to expose our students and take them into the community health areas like crisis pregnancy centers so that we can minister to those patients there and to um, really show our students that we're in the best position to do that as nurses and working with um, with those vulnerable patients in that population. The other thing is just uh, in the acute care settings in the hospitals, in the emergency departments, you encounter, you encounter the same patients that would be going to these crisis pregnancy centers. And um, after working in the emergency department for so many years, I had lots of teenage girls and young mothers who come in and very confused or finding out that they're pregnant in the emergency department, and that was an opportunity to minister to them there. So it may not even be in those crisis pregnancy centers, but also referring them to those centers and knowing where they are, knowing what they do, knowing what they're about, making sure they refer them to the right crisis pregnancy center um, because, uh, you know, the one here in Columbia is strategically placed across from a Planned Parenthood clinic, and just making sure that you know how to refer these patients and know how to guide them and direct them, but also just to be a handholder and to show them love and no judgment and show, you know, show them the light of Christ by telling them that God loves them and that there are alternatives to what they're, what they're thinking the, the only alternative is. Well, one of the challenges I have found as you journey through these medical crises uh, that so many of us as caregivers do is that we are hearing so much about death. We're hearing so much about suffering. We're hearing so much about pain and loss and sorrow, but we're not hearing words of life. There's an old hymn that I, I love. I've played it on this show uh, before because usually every week I'll do a, a hymn every week to drive home a point so people can have it, kind of hang on to a, um, a thought, you know, one of them is a, a beautiful, wonderful words of life. Do you know that old hymn? Yes, yes. It's a, and and I I want people to learn it. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. And if if no one is speaking life into these situations, what is the person going to do? And and there's a great sign. Have you seen the chosen? By the way. Do no, you I haven't. That? Not yet. Oh, do yourself a favor. Do yourself a favor. Okay. There's a scene though where there's there's a man and and those of you who've seen it will know this, and he has a broken leg from a fall from a horse, and the character playing Jesus does such an amazing job. And they're sitting around a fire at night and talking, and he says, "I come from a kingdom where there's no more suffering. There's no more injuries. There's no more any of these things." He said, "But in this world, bones still break." Hearts still break. And this is what he came to do, is to redeem all this. 
And if we're not speaking this life, and people think it's contradictory, well, if God is so great, why did he allow it? And my question is, why aren't we hearing more of these people speaking life into it as opposed to just wanting to argue with why God did this, why God did this? And they're missing the whole point of the cross. They're missing the whole point of the redemptive story and the whole point of what is being done in us as we minister to others. As I said in the last block, comfort one another with the same comfort that we ourselves have received. Margaret Mead, the anthropologist, she once said that the first sign of a, of a civilization is compassion. And you know what she backed that up on? When she discovered a healed femur, which is the longest bone in the body. My wife just broke her femur last month, and she's recovering from it. And it's a long process. It's a six to eight week process. And somebody's got to care for that person. Somebody's got to feed them. Somebody's got to, to, to do their work or whatever. And that she saw compassion is when, when you see somebody with a healed femur, they were the recipient of compassion. And, and I, I love that story. I just, I think that is just an amazing thing. And that's so descriptive of what you all are doing here is that you're marrying the science of healing with the, the, the passion of, of Christ uh, to minister to the wounded and the brokenhearted. And, and in the last couple of minutes here, we got, if somebody is interested in this and they want to pursue this or share this with someone, what is the best way for them to find out about what you guys are doing? The best way would be if there, if you have a nurse who is interested in coming back to get the BSN, the Bachelor's of Science in Nursing degree, the best way is to go to our website, ciu.edu backslash apply, and they can apply right there. Click on that link, and we can answer any of the questions as soon as we get that uh, contact there. So it's ciu.edu slash apply. And then the if you mentioned that if you had a caregiver who was interested in going back and maybe you wanted to support them and you wanted to give them a scholarship, the best way to do that would be to go to ciu.edu slash give nursing. And we we are accepting scholarships. We're accepting any kind of support we can because, again, you know, we're a private Christian institution, and um, we've been blessed to have so much support, but we need more to get this off the ground, and we're so excited um, for to be able to speak to your caregivers because this is exactly what I want our students to know and the populations that our students need to be caring for. So we're we're very excited that you've asked us to be here today. Oh, this is this is my pleasure. I've I've been at this school. I was a student there. My father-in-law was a student there, and I know these people, and I know the passion they have for the Word of God and for ministry. And I cannot stress to you enough: if you feel called to this, and you have you you think, okay, I want to learn more about this. Please do not let. Anything stop you. The, where he leads, he feeds. Where he guides, he provides. There will be resources there for you to do this. They'll work with you. They're about equipping people to go out as the as the the, the, the whole mission of Columbia International University. It is right there in the in the chapel, shortest chapel, in on the campus. There's there's a globe. There's two two sides of the globe, and right there it says to know him and to make him known. My, when I was a student there, I had what they call college service. I had to, you know, you do different types of tasks around 
the campus to help offset bills and and your your tuition and so forth. So we all did college service, and one of mine was to clean the chapel. I had to sweep it. I did it every um, I think I did it every Friday, and I had to go in there and sweep and and organize the chapel and so forth. So I spent a lot of time in that chapel, and I looked at that sign every time, back and forth to those aisles and those uh, where those chairs were, to know him and to make him known. And what better way than to equip nurses to go into these places where people are hurting, where they're suffering, where they're scared, where they'll even slam the door in your face, as Jill shared with us earlier. But if we are prepared, if we're wearing the right garment, which is the righteousness of Christ in this, we can walk into any of those things with confidence, knowing that he is he who began a good work is faithful to complete it to the day of Christ Jesus. And wouldn't you love to be a part of that? Whether it's sponsoring a nurse, whether it's sharing this podcast with someone else or, or telling somebody else about it on the radio, whatever you can do to, and, and also commit to praying for them. Commit to praying for them. We've got plenty of people out there that are talking about death. We've got plenty of people out there that are wanting to end life. They're, they're, if, if it's inconvenient, let's get rid of it whether it's a child in the womb or whether it's somebody who is chronically ill. And this is the culture that we're trying to go into and minister the light of Christ. And the darkness does not comprehend that light. But we we can, and that light can come right through us through the redemptive work of Christ, and you can be a part of that today. CIU.edu is the site for the, for the university. Go out there and you can go to the nursing, you can go to the giving. There's all kinds of things you can do. Jill, thank you so much for being a part of this today. We really appreciate it and we want you to come back. Thank you so much for having me, Peter. I'm, I'm blessed to be here. All right, this is the show for family caregivers and healthy caregivers make better caregivers. Okay? Hopeforthecaregiver.com. We'll see you next time. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.